Well, it's no secret that two-thirds of our household are a little obsessed with Hamilton the Musical right now. Now, you can guess which two, and if you don't know, now you know. Okay, there might be a few other people out here who also might get these references, but I won't name names. I'll protect their secrets. Well, the other third of our household actually does like the musical Don't Let Him Fool You. But Steve is just not to the nonstop level that Kayla and I are at. I mean, we're a little helpless right now. Actually, it's kind of draining. The other day, Kaylin said, you know, Mom, I think I have a case of the Hamiltons. Because everything that people say remind me of one of the 46 songs. This kid is insane, man. We'll see if I get a song or two in her head right now. Sometimes it makes me wonder why I even bring the thunder. Okay, let me explain why I bring up the musical Hamilton. Not just for my own amusement, which it's true. But... Actually, before I ever listen to the soundtrack of the show and before I get to see it on stage, how many days? Coming soon. All I knew was that Aaron Burr shot Alexander Hamilton. That's kind of what a lot of people knew about these historical people. But when you listen to the music and if you read the book that this is based on, you find out a lot more details about their lives. And the interesting thing is, instinctively, you root for Hamilton. I mean, it's named after him. The creator, Lin-Manuel Miranda, plays him on stage. But he actually did some shady things. You know, he ran his mouth. He had a big ego. He made some immoral choices. So what? He's super dead. But should we root for him? Is he the hero? For a while, there's been a trend in our entertainment that is um, the anti-hero. People have a dark side, yet we cheer them on. And even our superheroes... If you notice all the remakes of these movies, in the past they were these flawless heroes who could do no wrong, but now they make some tricky choices. It's interesting to talk about these things with Kaylin as she's at the age where she's discovering not everyone is a total sinner or a saint. Every person, including us, is in this in-between. We're kind of in the state of gray. The people we look up to, sometimes they fail. But the people we thought were pure evil, well, every once in a while, they make a good choice. It's this strange complexity. And over the years, I've had a difficult time dealing with this complexity. And in fact, it's what brings me to today's scripture text. And I realize I don't have the remote with me, Dylan. But when I was a kid, I liked to learn about female heroes in the Bible. I still do. So anytime, I'm going to come grab this as we talk. Anytime that I could, I learned about the different heroes in the Bible who were the girls. But, as you well know, when adults teach you when you're a kid, they tell you the clean version, right? I kind of got the Veggie Tales version of all the stories. Maybe you did too. There's this beauty pageant, a lovely Jewish girl. She was chosen to be queen in a foreign land. But then when I grew up, I learned there's a seedy side to this story. Esther wasn't the glowing fairy tale I had once thought. But then again, a lot of Bible people had a lot more issues than I knew of when I grew up and learned more of their details. I struggled for a time to think about these fallen heroes of mine. I wanted to forget their full story and just kind of imagine them how I wanted to. Can't I admire anyone without being disappointed? But now as I'm older, I have a more sense of appreciation once again. The fact that I've lived 
and developed many more flaws, the more I relate to and appreciate the fact that God can still use flawed people. Maybe you agree. Maybe sometimes it's easier to relate to someone who has a few chinks in their armor. Because that's us. We come with our own mistakes, and we want to know we're not alone. We want to know we can still have a purpose. And that's what today's message is all about. We've spent a few weeks on this series called Dwell. We've been looking around for where God dwells in unexpected people, in unexpected postures. And today we're going to look about an unexpected place where he dwells, right in the midst of our situation, even if we sin. So as I alluded to today, we're going to look at the story of Esther. You'll find her in the book named after her in the Old Testament. She's right before the book of Job. And you can look it up, but I'm going to tell you the story more than I'm actually going to read specific verses today. Because the story takes up nine full chapters of the Bible. It's not super long. I hope you could read it sometime because there's some interesting other details that we won't get to today. But one fascinating part of the book, and it's a little controversial for some Bible scholars, is that God's name is never mentioned. Not once. It takes place in a pagan land called Persia during a time when God's people were in exile. And we hear no specific word from God, yet we find evidence that he was at work. It's your typical love story. Boy meets girl. Boy meets hundreds of other girls in a harem format. And boy chooses girl to be queen. But she can't talk to him without his permission first. Are you intrigued yet? Let's go. Okay, let's start and set the scene for you here. We've got Persia, King Xerxes is his name, and he throws a big party. We're talking like months and months of a party. And finally, he gets down to the final party. He gets drunk and asks his wife, come parade yourself in front of everyone. It's really great. Side note, the verse says, come, honey, wear your crown for all to see. Yet it could imply that he kind of meant wear only your crown. So she's pretty disgusted at this point and refuses to come. Well, all the men say, oh no, she didn't. Now all the women in the kingdom are going to disrespect us, their husbands. All of the ladies are just going to revolt against their husbands. This can't be. Lay down the law, king. So he was feeling good. He decides to kick her out. They make a new law that she gets kicked out and he's going to pick a new queen. There's a whole bachelor type of contest here. All the pretty young ladies of the kingdom are gathered together. And they're beautified. <laughs> One funny detail is that it took a year for each of them to go through this beauty process. And then they each get one date night with the king. And this is the part I didn't know as a kid. What date night meant. Well, now we meet Esther. She is one of the young ladies who's been gathered here. And we find out that... Her, a little bit about her background. Her parents have died, and her cousin Mordecai has raised her. And Mordecai works in the palace, but he tells her to hide the fact that she's Jewish. The Jews, again, are in exile here in this land. And we're not really sure his re full reasoning for telling her to hide her identity. Well, Esther is in this harem awaiting her turn. She has date night, and then the king chooses her. He likes her the best. Now, already we see these heroes aren't flawless. What's a good Jewish girl doing in a harem? Participating in harem things. And why did Mordecai encourage her to hide her identity? These are some questions that we start to see in these heroes. 
Meanwhile, her cousin Mordecai offended the king's overly confident right-hand man. His name is Haman. Everyone was required to bow down to Haman as he was the next in line to the king or the, you know, the next powerful man. Now, one commentary stated that the fact that Mordecai, Mordecai would sit at the palace gate and Haman would come along and everyone would bow except for him. Now, he might have said, you know, I'm Jewish. I don't bow to anyone except God. But there might have also been a little bit of pride there, although I don't blame him because Haman was a real A money money. We found out this is what Kalen's friends call when they want to say the cuss word A dollar sign dollar sign. A money money. <laughs> so Haman, the king's official, that's what he was being. But still, Mordecai refused to bow to him. So Haman's ego was hurt. And he decides not only to take revenge on Mordecai, who is, you know, apparently not respecting him, when he finds out that Mordecai is Jewish, he decides, okay, I'm done. I'm done with all the Jewish people. So he convinces the king to set a time when all of the Jewish people in the entire kingdom of Persia should be annihilated. The guy has anger issues. He cast lots and he determined a certain date. And it was about a year from the time that he got the king to convince this order. And so on that day, it was, it was notified to all the kingdom that anyone who had a problem with the Jewish people could on that day just go out and kill them. So, to summarize, the new queen is Jewish and is hiding it. The highest royal official just got the king to declare war on all Jews. Now, people began to find out about this evil plan. And we begin to see that God is dwelling in this situation, no matter how complicated. Mordecai found out about this horrible plan, and he went into a mourning state. He sent a message to Esther. He told her she needs to go talk to the king, her husband, and convince him to stop this evil plan. But Esther sent back a message to Mordecai saying, it's not that simple. See, there was a law saying that no one could just go in and approach the king in his throne room, even his wife, unless they were summoned first. The king had the legal right to say, well, I, I'll talk to you. Sure, come on in. Or he could say... I didn't ask to see you, and he could have them killed. If he was in a bad mood, and Esther's seen this bad mood, he kicked out the previous queen. So she's afraid that going in could risk her life. So Mordecai, she sent a message back to Mordecai saying, you know, I'd like to help, but I'm kind of nervous here. And Mordecai's response, we're going to read these verses together in Esther 4. It's if you've heard of um, any words from Esther, it's probably these verses. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So even though we don't see God's name, we are seeing some implications of their trust in the Almighty right here. Mordecai believes in the power of God. If you notice where he says, if you remain silent, deliverance will come from another place. He trusts that God is going to act on behalf of his people. 
When God wants something to happen, it's going to happen. He allows us to be a part of the process, and that's our privilege. But if we choose not to participate in his plan, that doesn't stop God's plans. He's just going to use someone else who is willing. Mordecai also said that perhaps Esther was in this position for such a time as this. Does that mean that God wanted the king to divorce his first wife and then pick Esther to eventually become queen as part of this strange harem? No, human choices led to these decisions. But now God could still use the situation that Esther is in to rescue his people. So here in one short phrase from Mordecai are some very powerful truths about God. So here is Esther's reply, verses 15 and 16. Go gather all the Jews who are in Susa, which is the capital, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So the implication here is that they didn't just fast, but that prayer was involved. Because if you see other references in the Bible, fasting and prayer often go together. So we are assuming that Esther and Mordecai and all the Jewish people in the capital are trusting in the Lord, are putting this in God's hands. Esther knew that as she approached the king, she would need more than his good mood on her side. Now, skip to the end of the story. Prayer worked. God did intervene. The king accepted Esther into his presence, and he heard her out when she talked about this problem, that she was Jewish, and that this decree was going to hurt her people. And the king did sympathize with her. Now, I do find it a bit surprising about how God saved his people. It wasn't that the decree to annihilate the Jews was suddenly canceled because there was this other strange law. They had a lot of weird laws in Persia. It said that once the king had put his seal on a decree, that now it couldn't be revoked. So they sent out a second decree saying, hey, Jewish people, on this day, people are going to try to attack you. You have the right to defend yourselves. Okay, so on that day... There were enemies who still tried to hurt the Jewish people, but the Jews defeated them and killed them instead. So it's all still very bloody. Haman reaped what he sowed, and he was also killed during this whole situation. So, hooray, the people were saved. In a strange way, in a strange land, in an unexpected place. Now, a festival was instated at the end of Esther to celebrate this victory. It's called Purim. This is the plural for the word lots, which the lots were cast by Haman. um, And that's the day that that it was chosen to attack the people. And so they were told, read Esther 9, 21 to 22. Have them celebrate annually as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies. And as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. Observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So, again, the festivals were always involving God. So God's name is not mentioned here, yet it is instated as a time to bring, to celebrate and have joy because God delivered them. And they're caring and giving food to one another on behalf of their joy in the Lord. This festival is still practiced in modern times. In fact, Purim began last night 
and it goes through sundown today. So happy Purim. And Kaylin and I made some gifts of food. I don't know if you saw some cookies downstairs. They are hamantashen, which are little triangle shapes that apparently supposed to reflect Haman's hat or, or his pointy ears. This, this is the theory. Um, so this is what um, Jewish people will eat to celebrate Purim. And so, again, it's, it's an interesting festival of joy because the Jewish people were saved. So now we get to the point. Esther is this, this presence in the Bible. Basically, she was chosen by a pagan king as an object. She was living in a pagan land. She was hiding her identity. But yet God showed up in this unexpected place. He was dwelling in her life, even in sinful situations. And he transformed Israel's future through her. If it wasn't for her help to save the Jewish people, the line to Jesus would have been destroyed. The book implies that even when God's people are far from him and disobedient, they are still the object of his concern and love, and he is working his purposes through him. God worked in this situation to save his people, even though they were in exile, which was a punishment for bad behavior. Even when the heroes of the story weren't always heroic, God cared and dwelled with them and acted on their behalf because of his great love. Can you relate at all? Have you made poor decisions or gotten yourself into a mess and God seemed silent? It's easy to feel like he's completely left, but it's not true. He's still willing and able to work his purposes through our lives. I'll admit, I've struggled with this concept recently. I went through a time of self-focus this past winter. That's a nice way of saying it. There's a lot of craziness going on at my work, and everyone around me was acting cranky or sad or stressed, and they, a lot of them sought me out. At first I was helpful, but then it all gave way, and I just, my reaction took a turn. I just decided... I feel like acting selfishly in a number of ways, and I'm just going to do what makes me feel better because I'm stressed about this situation too. But the attitude like bled over into my home life, and there were just days where I just checked out. I kind of didn't care. And I knew I was sitting in a mess, and I knew I should call on God, but I really didn't want to know his opinion at the time. I didn't really want to act responsibly or seek his help. I just wanted to sulk. And be selfish for a while. So only recently have I woken up from this funk and I went from apathy to sudden fear gripping me. Because then I thought, what if God rejects me for my bad attitude I've just had? What if he just lets me stay in a mess perpetually as punishment? What if he doesn't want to redeem my situation? Yet I felt the prayers of people sustaining me, even when I wasn't praying. I realized God had been dwelling with me the whole time. He didn't leave even when I wanted to act like he wasn't there. He remained in this unexpected place I found myself. In my apathy, my rebellious heart. His spirit was still there. He was waiting for me to call on him. And he did act when I called. He's slowly changing my thought patterns again and guiding me forward. These words encouraged me this week. 
the great paradox of Esther is that God is omnipotently present, even where God is most conspicuously absent. Jesus' last words were, go and make disciples, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then, ironically, he left. Nevertheless, our Lord is omnipotently present, even when he is most conspicuously absent. Maybe you've been sitting in a mess for a while. Maybe you're not sure how you got there, or if you even are ready to get out. Just know that God still dwells with you. He is not absent. He is present, and you are still the object of his concern and love. Maybe this doesn't relate to you right now, but maybe you know someone who needs to hear these words. I encourage you, please go speak this truth to them this week. Come alongside them and give them hope. Just because we've sinned doesn't mean God has left us. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we're offered forgiveness. Recognize that he dwells right here with us in our messy place. He's not going anywhere. He's waiting for us to call on him, and he wants to redeem our situation. So let's continue to let this be our wake-up call. Call on God. Don't wait. Ask him to help because he is willing. He'll take our mess and make it beautiful. He still wants to use us for his glory. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for seeing us as who we are and imagining what we could be. Because I feel like that's how you dwell with us right now. You see us through the eyes of love, of a loving father, You see us forgiven because of Jesus. And you see everything you're waiting to do through us when we say yes. Work on our hearts, God. Keep knocking even when we're ignoring you. Thank you for being persistent. We come to you and thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.